Well, it is wonderful to this morning to talk about leadership, and and that goes right along with being a father. If if what we're talking about this morning about church leadership, it's good to know what to expect from leaders. It's amazing how many times I've been in meetings where people have these amazing notions of what leadership is. And, uh, and it's many times they quote the, the First Timothy passages and they quote all sorts of different passages about what church leadership is. And uh, this passage this morning before us is an amazing avenue or amazing look into what church leadership really is. So this morning, I pray that it may scare some of you. And you would say, you know what? That is not me. That's good. Because uh, we shouldn't aspire for leadership just for leadership's sake. Some of you would say, you know what? I feel like that's what God's called me to. Great. And so this message is a great divider, not dividing in disunity, but dividing in our roles in the military that God has created, the body of Christ. And we all have these different roles, these different gifts, and these different abilities. And, and uh, so leadership is not a position to aspire to because of leadership's sake. It's a calling, and it's a blessing for the body of Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning. And by the way, fathers, this lingo... Uh, also, the lingo that we talk about this morning that Peter uses to describe church leadership is exactly the same lingo that Paul uses when he describes fathers. So this is, um, as we look at church leadership, this also describes greatly what God desires for fathers to be in the home. So even though I didn't design this passage or expect to be speaking about this on Father's Day. That wasn't the plan. Um, That's just where it ended up. But it is a good reminder as dads for things to grow in, to aspire to in our walks, so that way we shepherd our families well. So, of course, the title is The Need for Shepherds in the Church, Shepherding the Church. And uh, so let's pray and ask God to speak to us through this this passage in 1 Peter 5. So let's take a look. Lord, as we look at your word, Lord, I pray that you would take our inadequacies, the way we think, that you would reshape our thinking and understanding this morning, the only the way you can, through the power of your spirit. Your spirit comforts and guides and gives us understanding to look intently into the things that belong to you, Lord. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work that you do, that we here, we couldn't do without you. And help us to glean and to to feast off of the truth of your word this morning. And we thank you and we praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this, this passage is really describing the fact that we need shepherds in the church. We look at all of 1 Peter. There's, there's, there's tremendous persecution, tremendous uh, fire. You know, they're under fire. 
um, and not just not being shot at. They're literally being roasted on on stakes. Nero is persecuting the church greatly. And as we look at, we don't like what we face in our community and our culture. We don't like the persecution. Um, in fact, you'd be praying for Furs, the, the Christian camp in Bellingham. They're under a lot of attack this morning and persecution for just simply sticking to the Word of God. What's interesting is, is God can use anything. There's an atheist that's coming to their defense, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but God can use anything. But we see that we desperately need shepherds in these times, and that's the point of this passage and what kind of shepherd the church needs. So, and as we look at this, the, the, the shepherds that we're talking about are elders, and we're talking about shepherding the flock. So there's elders, there's the flock, the body of Christ, and they're shepherding all through this. And last week I tried to explain what the flock and what shepherding looked like, what being a shepherd of the sheep looked like, and how much we really need gifted and called pastors and elders to lead the flock, to do that work, and how uh, hard it really is. It is not a position of authority, but a position of meeting a need that God has placed in the sheep. Uh, By the way, we noticed that the sheep are really needy, but we also saw that the elders need to be shepherding the sheep that they were placed in. And this is important a lot of so-called shepherds bounce around and just look for uh, the greatest uh, place of, uh, that they can grow ministry. Um, I've heard people say, well, I can't go there because I just, you know, it's, there's not a lot to do there. And that's code speak for there's not a lot of money there. Um, and believe it or not, if you listen to as many people sharing their resumes about becoming a pastor or an elder in the church, you would be shocked at some of the things that they say. And it's amazing, but that's, it's just sad. But when we look at this, there's guiding, there's guarding, and there's giving of food. That's what God is talking about here in the area of shepherding. And this is really what we're getting at this morning when we talk about shepherding and the leaders in the church. Elders need to shepherd in view of the persecution. We need to realize that the need of the church based on what we face every day. This is really the context that we are talking about. That's why Peter says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock that you've been placed in. Shepherding the flock, it's more important, Peter says, in view of all of what's transpiring. You don't understand. He goes, the church is under attack. Shepherds, get out there and shepherd. And that's really what we're talking about. The, other, the idea here is, is when God carries out His purposes in leadership, it benefits the church in a great way. It's huge. When we follow God's purpose of leadership, we don't look as leadership as something to attain or some kind of authority in the church. And like, I'm going to get on this board or I'm going to do this so that way I can steer it in the direction I want. If we allow God uh, to call shepherds and to be shepherds and we follow God's purpose for the leaders in the church, it 
benefits the flock in amazing and amazing ways. And so this morning, we've talked a lot about shepherding flock and sheep in the last week. I want to look at the elements of a godly shepherd. What does God want in view of persecution, in view of hardships? What is God looking for in the leadership of the church? And that, and that is, number one, faithful elders must beware of laziness. I want you to notice in the text, look at verse 2. In verse 2, he starts off with, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's what he's saying, okay, elders, this is what you need to do. Shepherd them, and this is what you need to look at. He says, exercise oversight. And he defines that. What is exercising oversight? And he goes on to say, not under compulsion, but willingly. Key on two things. We're not supposed to force elders to lead. We're not supposed to force pastors to lead. They're not supposed to be compelled or forced to lead, but they need to do it willingly. And did you notice the word exercise and willingly? Exercise. Um, the, uh, the verb there, exercise, is in the present tense, which pictures these men are consistently, diligently, actively, and responsibly overseeing the care of the sheep in their flock. They're constantly looking into the lives of the flock to see what food they need, what water do they need, where do they need to, to take them, where do they need to lead them, what path, what path do they need to go. That is a great exercise in the life of an elder. It can't be a lazy elder. They need to be a person who exercises a lot, who is constantly, willingly wanting to be in the church. I've had people come to me and say, hey, pastor, I, I think I need, I, I'd like to be an elder in the church. And I'm like, okay. And we talk about it. And I'm like, so what do you think God's calling you to do? And it's, he says, well, I really think I could sit in the meetings and really direct the meetings well. I'm like, okay. And I said, so what do you think God's calling you to do? And he goes, well, I think I can give a lot of information. And I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, what is God calling you to do? He didn't want to do anything. He says, well, no, I don't, I, I'm not going to do a Bible study. I don't have enough time. I, 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 I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And he listed everything in the church that we're called to do that he was not willing to do. And I said, I don't think you're called to be an elder. I said, we do need a janitor. And we did at the time, and he didn't take me up on it. By the way, when I felt like I was called to ministry, the very first job I was given was not teaching in the youth group. It was the janitor. I was a janitor for a whole year until I was allowed to lead in the youth group. Well, and if you knew me back then, you'd know why. <laughs> and uh, I've got people I could tell stories about me back then. <laughs> I'm just tempered a little bit, but... The idea is that we can't have lazy elders. We need ones that exercise greatly. Faithful elders must be motivated by, uh, not be motivated by gain or money or things. It's not a word that's used just for money. But if you look in, in verse 2, it says, not greedy for, for great gain, or e but eager to serve. What is their motivation? Leaders in the church have to be motivated by the right thing. Now, this isn't Peter saying, well, pastors shouldn't be paid. That, there's some people, uh, dear brothers and friends of mine, that believe that this is the passage that says pastors should never be paid. Elders shouldn't be paid. 
And that's not Peter's intent. We know because in 1 Timothy 5, 17-18, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the, the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So we know that Peter is not talking about not paying uh, certain elders or certain pastors. That's not the point. The point is, his motivation should not be money or things. What's the motivation of the elder? And it's sad. Um, I don't know if you caught that in the last uh, month, but uh, one of, uh, you know, Kenneth Copeland, he got caught in the hangar with his private uh, Learjet, by the way, you know, so million-dollar aircraft, and uh, they, they interviewed him. They said, well, what a, do you think that, you know, this is a waste of money for ministry by owning your own private jet and all this kind of stuff? And, and he said, you know, and he said that he shouldn't, he doesn't have the time to sit with a bunch of demons in an aircraft. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, but he, he just called a bunch of people demons. And he went on and on. He says, it's none of your business to the reporter how I spend my money, or how I get my money. Those are his words. And sadly, is, is there's a lot of shepherds out there that are just for gain. That's what they're for. I can't tell you how many times. I, I've had other pastors, I sat on a board down in California, and, and they would come to me and they say, hey, you know, you've been at your church for a long time. We, we can't seem to get anybody to stay more than two years. He said, What's, what, how do you do it? How do you find people that will stay at a church for more than two years? And I asked him, I said, so what kind of questions do you ask him? And, I, and, uh, and they said, oh yeah, we ask him about doctrine, we ask him about this. And I said, well, what kind of questions do they ask you? And hands down, this is the questions they ask. How, can, how much money can you pay me and, uh, and will I be able to afford a house and, and, can, you know, and, you know, all these kind of things? And how much time do I get off? I mean, that should tell you something. And I said, I said, you're, you're looking at all the wrong people. I said, find somebody who wants to be a missionary, and that'll make a good pastor. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, you find a person that their mission is to glorify God and see people get saved, and that is the most important part of their thinking process. And I said, and you will find a pastor who will stick out no matter what. Because their mission isn't to be liked. Their mission isn't to be paid. Their mission is to see the church flourish. You find one in that. And that's, and that's the thing. I remember talking to the guys. And they said, well, how much money do you need? And I said, you know what? All I need is to know that you will take care of my family. Pay doesn't matter. And that's the point. It's not about pay. It's about the ministry. You've you got to find leaders who are called to serve God, not to, to gain money. In fact, in, our, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, at the end it, says, it talks about labor. The word laborers there in 1 Timothy 5 says to work to the point of fix, um, fatigue or exhaustion. Do you see leaders who are willing to just study the Word of God to the point of being tired? That's who should be an elder. 
we um, sometimes in our former church and other churches I've been in, they were trying to find people and say, you know, who is who should be an elder in our church? And, you know, we should start raising up elders in our church. And so who who should that be? And and hands down, many times people would say, I don't have time. I need to focus on this job. And, and that's fine. I'm not saying that that's bad, that they're working hard. And, but they, they never think about the church. And that's the thing is, is you want a leader in a church. We need leaders who look at the church and see a church that needs people to help them. That's the leader that God is calling in the church. And so we need that are not motivated by gain, but they're motivated by caring for the flock of God. But that's not the tendency of a lot of pastors, is to serve. Many pastors are tempted to leave the church for greener pastors. pastures. And that's the thing, is as soon as, as, soon as the sheep kick or bite a little bit, right? I, I, when I go to feed our pigs, I like to bite your feet and ankles and... They just, they nip at you and you just pop them, you know, right in the nose, knock it off. And they do it again, and they, you know, and, and it's like you're trying to feed them. And they're like, dude, just let me put the food down. Stop biting me. Well, that's how it is sometimes in church. Just let me feed you. Stop biting me, right? But pastors, there's some pastors who can't stand that. They, ter- they take personal offense to it. And, and they get so frustrated and they're like, oh, I'm going to. And they say, well, that church is bigger down the road. I'm going to go to that church. And they jump ship for another church. And, and, you know, a few years into it, after the honeymoon is over, bite, 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 bite. And criticism comes. And what do they do? They leave for another church. We have professional pastors out there. And their job is to go be liked for two years. And then they leave. <laughs> but, and that's not God's form of leadership. Right? Just because my piglets were biting on my ankles, I didn't make some premature bacon. But... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I, you know, the the fire pit looks pretty good, but uh, yeah, no, I want uh, a 500 pound or 400 pound piece of bacon, not my little hundred pounders right now. But here's the thing. So God wants faithful elders who must be careful to desire uh, for of the desire of power. Here's the thing: is is that. Faithful elders, the kind of leadership that God is looking for, verse 3 says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples for the flock. I'll never forget, um, Alex Montoya was uh, a professor down at a master's seminary, and, and his son was my roommate, uh, Alex Montoya Jr. And, uh, and Alex Montoya Jr. was like this, he, he, he was this short, five foot six, but just big. And, he, and he, nobody could move this guy. I mean, and we were workout buddies when I was 19 and I ruined my back. He, him and I would work out together in the weight room. And uh, we became great buddies. And his dad came to me one day and he goes, so I hear you want to be a pastor. And I said, yeah. And he goes, he just remember this. You're not in power. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, when you're a pastor, he said, the power of the church is the Holy Spirit. It's God. It's not you. He says, you need to know, you need to be so far out ahead so that way you can lead the church by your example so they know where to go. And if you remember the story from last week about the shepherd 
The shepherd always scouts out the path to see where the sheep needs to go. And that's the idea here. He's not, by the way, if you notice in verse 2, it says exercise oversight. A good shepherd has spiritual authority, not controlling authority. Christ is the one that's supposed to be in control of the church. God, through the power of His Spirit, is supposed to be in control of the church. But we're not, pastors and leaders and elders are not supposed to be domineering. By the way, that word domineering or lording over means this. It's a verb that indicates heavy-handed use of authority, manifesting itself in the desire to dominate and to be accompanied by a haughty demand for compliance. I'm the pastor, so do what I say. I've been in those churches. My mom and I were in a couple of those churches. We left those churches. We were in a church where I went to the pastor and I said, we need to start discipling these people. And, and we said, we need to do some Bible studies. We need to get some Bible studies started. And, and, and the pastor's like, no, nobody else can do the Bible studies. Only I can. And I was, I was like, you don't get it. It's like, it's not just the pastor. That's, it's, the, it's our God. It's His Word. It's Christ. And, and so you got to watch out. God doesn't want a big-headed leader of the church. I mean, this is the best example. If you look at Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, and it's crazy. I mean, there are the disciples that are standing before Christ. God is actually leading them, the Son of God. Uh, and there, in verse 24 of Luke 22, it says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you imagine that? Here are the 12 disciples fighting over to see who's the greatest among them, right? We know that John was one of those arguing in other texts. We know Peter wasn't too happy about it. In fact, Peter wasn't too happy about it that God said he was going to be crucified. And he goes, well, what about John? And, he goes, what? and Jesus goes, well, what is it to you? He says, are you in charge? But here in our text, and Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, lorded over, same word as our text, and those who exercise authority over them call them benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And then he goes on to wait on them and serve them by washing their feet, doing what the lowest servant of the house does. Christ did that. We need leaders who are not authoritarians that are demanding authority. We need to point the church to the, the sole authority, and that is Christ. I like what James 3.1 says. It says, Not many of you should seek to be teachers, for you will receive a stricter judgment. In fact, it goes on in the same context in James 4. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it not the desires that are war within you? You know, we all have these ideas and we think my, des- my desire, my wants, my wishes are better than yours. And so we fight to get, get them. And when we can't have what we want, 
We kill each other. We kill our relationships. We hurt one another. We destroy one another because I can't have my way. And that's not what God wants in the church. Faithful elders show us how to love the Word of God. Show us how to love the chief authority. They push us to the desire to read Scripture. They push us to Christ. They want us to know Christ that we might love Christ so we can love others. The only way the church will love each other is if we love Christ. It's not about loving certain elders more than others. It's, it's amazing how authority gets and power in the church gets so distorted and Christ is lost. As soon as we start arguing who is right and who is wrong, and other than in Scripture, pointing to Scripture, If we're not focused on Christ, we're losing out power in the church. Number four, in verse four, faithful elders have an eternal perspective and motivation. One of the ways to not focus on power and controlling and domineering is having an eternal perspective. Are the elders focusing on Christ's return? The faithful elders that are going to be able to help the church in the midst of persecution are those that are always focused on Christ. I often meet men who don't want to consider the role of elder. They, they don't want to focus on, on an, being an elder. Even though they're gifted like an elder, they see the discord in the church. They see the extra work. They see the lack of money. And they say, no way, it's not for me. Many pastors do that. Many elders do that. They say it's going to take too much time away from me working and, and, or it'll take too much time away from me gaining money or there's pastors that say there's no way I'm going to go to that church because I can't, you know, I, I, I just, there's no money in it. I can't survive. That same uh, Alex Montoya, by the way, at age 22, went to a dying church in Los Angeles, right? At 22 years old, he went to this church and he was called to go to this church, and there was 20-some people there. And, he, and they said, well, we can't afford to pay you. And he goes, well, that's all right. He says, I have to work. I have to do the hard work in order to get the wages. And within two years, that church went from 22 to 200. And he worked, and he worked, and they evangelized, and they evangelized, and they focused on Christ. He kept presenting Christ. And he, he, they, he went to their deacon board who was trying to control the church, and he just looked at him and he said this. He goes, I'm going to bury you. At 22 years old, as he's telling me this, I'm like, I'm 20 years old. And I'm like, there's no way I would say that to a deacon board. And he goes, and he goes look, he says, this is the reality is, is I'm going to stay at this church no matter what, no matter how long it takes. And most of you are 70 years old. So that means in the next 20 to 30 years, I will be here, but you won't. And he just kept reminding the church, I'm here to do the Lord's work. I'm here to do the Lord's work. And the church, once they started focusing on Christ, they just exploded. And that's the point. Is it's not, I've told the, the elders this, and I, I told the church this when we did our business meeting. Look, it's, I'm not here because of the pay. I'm here because of the flock. I'm here because of Christ. We need leaders that are here because of Christ. 
I mean, look at verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's not about the money. It's not about the things that we accumulate. It's about the crowns that God will bless the leaders for shepherding the church correctly. And then the elders will be able to throw the crowns at Christ's feet as a gift to glorify Christ. I mean, you can look at it in Revelations 4. 4, we don't have time to get into the whole theological premise, but they were surrounded by the 24 elders of the church and, and they were given crowns and then they throw the crowns at Christ and worship Christ. One day, our motivation should be the return of, of the King, that He's coming back. And what will Christ find us doing? Will it be doing the work of shepherding the church or will it be the work of gain and much gain, gain of power, gain of property, gain of things? Or will it be the, the work of Christ? Those are the kind of leaders we need in the church. As those that are so motivated by the return of Christ. I often meet a churchgoer who many times church, like, church people, they're like, I don't have any time for this. And they have no comprehension they never think about their heavenly reward. They're always thinking about their earthly gain. But that's not Christ's motivation. You remember in Matthew 6, when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about three things. He said that we, in life, as to his disciples, he said, when you fast, when you pray, and when you give, don't be like the Pharisees. He said, so you will not lose your reward. If you're looking for a reward now and like, I'm a, I'll go to church, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to, all of these things, if that's your motivation is a reward now, you're going to miss out on later. That should not be our perspective. But in verse 19, he says, uh, not to store up riches on earth, but to store them up in heaven. Christians must be motivated by an eternal reward. What's amazing about our text is, is that verse Five and following flows out of what God expects leaders to be. So that way the church can survive. So the church will flourish. So the church can be mended when they're attacked. So the church can take care, or the leaders can take care of the flock. To nurture the flock, to feed the flock, to protect the flock. To not allow wolves to come in and hurt the flock. To stop them before. I love, that's one of my favorite things to do is to go outside the church and protect the church by meeting with people who would like to create division in the church. I don't want people to talk about the bride of Christ in a bad way. I'd love to try to head it off before they get here. That's the kind of leadership. When you're thinking about leadership in the church, are they motivated by Christ and protecting what belongs to to Christ. And it's interesting is it's like, okay, so where does that leave the flock? Where does that leave the flock? And in conclusion, the point is this. I've never heard anybody preach verse 5 through 11 out of the context. And this morning is, is this. A strong and healthy church that is able to stand against the evils of this world is a submissive church church. God brings back what we learned months ago out of chapter 2 and 3 
He brings back the word submission. How do we deal with our culture around us? How do we deal with the persecution? We need to be submissive to the Lord. Look at verse 5. He says, likewise. He says, you younger, but then don't forget. And, and then he says, likewise, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And he's talking about submission. Uh, young men, in the same way, be submissive. All of you, be humble. Be submissive to one another. Often there is a trial or conflict in the church and things aren't going the way. The church doesn't like what it sees. It, it doesn't like things. So as soon as they do, they what? They stop being submissive to the leaders and they attack the leaders because something's not right. And so you just... That's the reality. I've seen it all the time. As soon as something's not going right in church, the flock attacks the shepherd, the one who's trying to feed them. Sometimes it's valid, some, and many times it's, it's, it's crazy, and it's amazing that they would do that. In fact, look at back in, in Genesis and Exodus, when things didn't go right for Israel, who did they attack? The leaders, Moses, right? 250 people complained and they led this uprising against Moses and Aaron in number 16. It's crazy. The one who, who led them out of Egypt, right? By the way, that was God who led them out of Egypt. Moses just followed the Lord. You know, and that's how I always tell you. As I follow the Lord, follow me. Paul said that. As he follows the Lord, follow him. And it doesn't go very far. You get into 2 Corinthians and the whole purpose of the letter was to make an argument for Paul's leadership, because they were denying Paul's leadership in the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. we got to remember that it's God who sets up leaders. And we need to work with them. Me included. It's not, it's not, I'm not immune from this. I'm supposed to work together with the elders. We're supposed to grow together. We're supposed to feed the body of Christ. It's amazing, but God knows our heart and he knows our struggles. When we are under fire, we tend to, tend to look to leadership and attack because we want things to be better. So here's the question. When we're under attack, things are hard. Leadership is trying to do their job. How do we live in a submissive way? I'm glad you asked. Because literally in the English and in the Greek text, it flows out of this submission. And he says this. He says that he wants us to put on humility. He wants us to clothe yourselves. That means literally tie, uh, wrap a towel around your waist. But that, in John 13, 4 through 5, that's exactly what Jesus did. When he was showing them the type of leaders that they needed to be, he, got, he took off his, his outer clothes, he took off the outer robe, and, uh, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he went and he cleaned the feet of the disciples. That's what Peter's talking about. Where do you think Peter got the idea to say, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another? He uses the same word in here in Greek, by the way, in which Jesus describes wrapping a towel around his waist. Peter learned that from Christ. We need to learn it from the text that how do we submit? How do we have a proper standing in the church and we help the church and we help the leaders grow? We humble ourselves. 
We need to tie humility on us. We need to clothe ourselves with humility. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but but in humility consider others better than ourselves. We are the most healthiest when we are the most humble. Did you hear that? We are the most healthiest as a church when they are most uh, humble. How can I help the church? Being humble. I like it what he says. Listen to what Paul says about Timothy. Paul talks about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm sending Timothy because he generally will look out for your interests. He cares for you because people don't do that. They look out for their own interests. In a church where people are not serving one another, but instead consumed with their own interest, there, there you will find a church that is filled with pride, not clothing themselves with humility. Yeah, you, and, and that's the truth. Proverbs 6, by the way, verses 16 through 19, we don't quote this enough, but there are six things that God hates. God doesn't say that very often, by the way. Have you read through the Bible many times? How many times have you heard God says that God hates this? Not very often. But he does in Proverbs 6. He says, six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that divides wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among the brothers. None of that is humility, is it? None of that is all self-interest, entertaining thoughts about self. That's the point. Many churches go discord, go through problems because of self-interest. A healthy church is a humble, serving church. They put on regularly the garment of serving. The other thing there in our text is, not only it says in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that He may exalt you, but also remember God gives joy and peace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, God provides it. Right? Verse 7, cast all your anxieties for him, for he cares for you. That word he cares for you encompasses joy and peace. Every single person in this room wants joy, but instead you settle for happiness. Everybody in this room wants peace, but you settle for just ignoring one another, <laughs> right? I've, I've, I've talked with a few people, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm at peace for the moment. And I look at it, and I said, well, what have you done to create, you know, where'd that peace come from? And they said, oh, I just haven't talked to them for a while. No, you, basically, you're just ignoring them. Peace does not exist. It's a phantom. It's a ghost. It's, it's a lie. But we remember God gives it. By the way, it says, cast all your cares. It's not talking about a fishing pole. Get the fishing pole out of your mind. You know why? What do you do when you cast? It goes out, and then what do you do? You retrieve. 
And that's the problem with most of us. We're not humble. And then when we're struggling and we have anxiety, we cast things and say, I'm going to get rid of it. And we cast it and we start and slowly we retrieve what we've thrown out. The idea literally in this picture in the Greek word is to go to a cliff and you take out of that backpack of burdens that you've been carrying is to take it out and throw it over the cliff as far as you can so you, it has the idea of not being able to see what you throw. The idea is that you can't see it. Why? So you can't go back and pick it up again. The idea here is to cast something so far that you get rid of it and all you see is Christ. I like what, by the way, did you know that in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7 through 9, Paul's been struggling. He has a thorn in the flesh. And look at what God says. It says, so to keep me from being conceited. By the way, God can you know, give you problems, little thorns that irritate you to death. So that way to keep us, he knows we're becoming conceited. He knows what will give us a big head and he'll give us a thorn just to keep us from having a big head. So we'll be humble. But why? Why would God do that? Look at verse 9. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made per- perfect in weakness. Look at that. My power is made perfect in weakness. And he goes on to say, the power of Christ, why does he do this? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He wants us to stop focusing on what really makes us weak so we will rely on what is the most powerful, and that is Christ in our life. Why should we be humble? So we can enjoy true peace that Christ provides through our work, our thoughts and through focusing on Him. I like in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, it says, So we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In Hebrews 13, 5, and the idea here is the same thing, is, is that we're not focused on the cares of life, but we're, focused, we're humble and we're focusing on Christ. Philippians 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Why? So that way we won't be anxious for anything. Don't be anxious, right? But by everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come to the Lord. Be very aware and alert of the enemy's desire. Be sober-minded, it says in verse 8. How can we help the leaders in the church? How are we supposed to respond as a church to leadership? Is we need to be very aware the roaring lion is out there. In this context, is we, we have a world that is persecutes us because we don't belong here. Christ one day is returning to bring us home and we will face persecution and one of those is the roaring lion that wants to devour us. Be sober-minded. Be thinking correctly. Most of the problems, not all of them, are created in the church by the schemes of the evil one. That's why in Ephesians, he says over and over, stand firm, be strong in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Be very alert. We need to remember that most of the problems in the church are coming because the lion wants to devour you. And that's the last one there. Stand firm in your trust of God. Resist him, firm in your faith. Solid in your faith. Let me ask you, where's your trust? 
Is it in the things of the world? Is it in your authority? Is it in your... Or are you trusting and putting yourself in the proper position, humbling yourself before God? That's the real issue. Without these, these four things, putting on humility, focusing on the God who brings us joy and peace rather than the things of the world, and if we aren't alert to what Satan really is doing, trying to pick off the sheep in the church, and we're not standing firm and trusting the Lord, we are not going to be submissive sheep. John chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, I have said these things to you that, you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tri- tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't know what everything you're thinking or what's going on in your life, but I do know this. Christ has overcome the world. The chief shepherd is coming to fix all the, the, the messes that the, 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 the pastors and elders create. <laughs> he will set everything straight. We'll have everything set straight one day. But he wants us, no matter good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, he wants us to live a life this way. And that's really the point. This is how he wants us to live. If we live like this, we'll be able to identify the leaders that God wants to lead the church. Because just because you've brought a pastor on a year ago doesn't mean you found your leader. I'm not stopping with just me. We're identifying other leaders. We need to grow leadership in the church. Always. Never stop. For every leader that we are able to grow, there's more people to to disciple, to train. So that way we're not struggling and floundering. That way the sheep are being fed. Where's your trust? Are you trusting in leadership or are you trusting in the Lord? By the way, if you focus on leadership, if all you do is trust me, you're going to get mad at me sooner or later. <laughs> it will happen. I guarantee it. Right? Because it happens in my own home. <laughs> we don't, we're not like you know, this you know, perfect home. Leave it to Beaver. It's always perfect, right? It, in the morning, it may not start off perfect. By the end, we, we fix it somewhere along the line. That's the point. Who is your trust in? If your trust is in man, you're going to struggle. You're going to have anxiety. If you're in trust in the Lord, he's going to provide the peace and the joy that surpasses all understanding. Nobody will understand it. Where is this coming from? Where is this strength coming from? Why is Sue so happy no matter what is going on in her life? With stage four cancer. Nobody that meets her knows. They would never, but they know that she loves Christ. Right? How many people, you know, it's not the problems of her life, but it's Christ. Why? It's because she trusts in the Lord. Where's your trust? You want this church to grow. You want the flock to be healthy. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make the paths straight. He will straighten us out. Right? I can't straighten us out. But God can. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful passage that shows us what leadership is supposed to be. 
And Lord, our response to that leadership and our response to the, to the, the world. And Lord, it solely rests upon your name. Lord, we need to trust you. We, it's not about putting our faith and trust in you and being saved and then we're, we're good to live our life free from harm. No, it's every day putting that shoe and that coat on and saying, I'm going to put on humility and just trust in you. We got to do that every day. Lord, I pray that that would be the focus of our church, to trust you, to be in love with you, to trust you with all our heart. Lord, not to, to be fathers or mothers who put their faith in controlling families or controlling the church, but Lord, to just be looking to the great shepherd who loves and cares tenderly and correctively in a loving way sets us straight. And so, Lord, I pray with all my heart that that would be our desire. Lord, and that's the goal is that we would surrender our life to you. Lord, maybe somebody's here and they've never done that. They said, well, I didn't know I needed to surrender my life to Christ. And maybe they don't know that it was Christ who died on the cross for their sins, who the perfect lamb, the son of God, the, the very essence of God, became flesh, dwelt among us, and lived a perfect life to be the sacrifice to pay for our sins. We can't pay for our sins. There's none good. No, not one. None of us are good, good enough to be in the presence of you, Lord. But you loved us so much that you sent your son to take our place. Lord, I pray right now that if there's someone here that's never put their faith and trust in that for their life, that they would give their life to you and say, Lord, I need you and that they will respond to that gift of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. Lord, if somebody here, that you would, Lord, just tug at their heart, and it, Lord, that they would this morning give their life to you. I pray that they would do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.